Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would now open our eyes as we read your word together, as we consider who your son truly is, we ask that you would give us eyes to see him. We pray that you would remove the things that blind us, the things that blur our vision, and help us to see clearly the one who came to die and to rise again for us so that we could have life. Open our eyes this morning to see you, Jesus, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're able, please stand for reading of God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. Begin reading in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. How do you know that something is true? What confidence do you have that what you believe is true? You and I live in a world that is built on the basic principle that seeing is believing. That we cannot know that something is true unless we observe it first with our eyes. It comes from a theory of knowledge called empiricism. It was developed during the 17th and 18th century from the philosophy of George Barclay, John Locke, David Hume. And it's a theory of knowledge that you might not realize impacts every single thing that we do today. Anything from the scientific method that is built on observation in order to come up with facts to the everyday way that we interact with our world. It's as, almost as if we have this baseline skepticism that you're going to have to prove it if I'm going to believe it. You're going to have to show me so that I can see it with my eyes if I'm going to believe that it is true. And of course, this idea is nothing new. And it's way older than empiricism. The Gospels tell us about one of Jesus' disciples named Thomas. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples see the risen Christ and they come to Thomas and they say, We have seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And this is how Thomas responds. Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Did you hear what Thomas said? Unless I see, I will never believe. 
That is our default way that we see the world. We think that you cannot believe in something unless you see it with our eyes. But what if the greatest truth that the world has ever known is something you cannot see with your eyes? And what if that truth changes the way that we see everything? This morning we are looking at the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And in his story, I want Jesus to show all of us why it takes believing in order to truly see. The first way I want to look at this, I want us to look at the blindness of unbelief. And I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples come to a town named Bethsaida. Now, you might normally just skip over that detail, but it is incredibly important. You said Bethsaida is a place that Jesus would later condemn for their unbelief. In other words, Bethsaida was a place that did not see Jesus. More than that, just a couple chapters before in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, Bethsaida is the place where Jesus walked on water. In Mark 6, we're told that his disciples were in a boat, and Jesus passes them by, walking on water, and his disciples see him, but they think he's a ghost. In other words, though his disciples saw Jesus, they didn't really see him. They didn't understand who he was. So I think it is no surprise and it is completely intentional that Jesus is now leading his disciples to Bethsaida, a place that would later be known for their unbelief. And it's here in Bethsaida, look with me at verse 22, that Mark tells us some people brought to Jesus a man who was blind, and they begged him to touch him. Now we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark people coming to Jesus out of desperation. They are confronted with their need and their frailty and their dependence on healing. That they come out of desperation and they beg at Jesus' feet. The only difference here is that the blind man, the one who needs healing, is not the one begging. I want you to picture this in your mind. Here is Jesus and his disciples, and a crowd comes, and they come leading a blind man by the hand. Because the blind man cannot lead himself to Jesus. It is the people who lead the blind man to Jesus who beg Jesus for his healing. This is the way so often it is with us. You see, we are just like the blind man. And so often it takes other people to lead us to Jesus. Because left to ourselves, we cannot go to Jesus on our own. And so this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to look back on your life and think of all the people that God has used to lead you to Jesus. And here's the question. Who are you now leading to Jesus? Who has God put in your life to lead by the hand to the foot, feet of Jesus Christ? to beg that Jesus would heal them. 
Maybe it's a family member or a coworker or a roommate or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's your children. So often, God uses his people to lead unbelievers to himself. So it was with this blind man. You see, we are just like this blind man outside of Jesus Christ. Because we too are blind. Throughout the Bible, blindness serves as a powerful metaphor, a powerful image for unbelief. Unbelief is different than doubt. You and I experience doubt every single day. Doubt is when we question what we already believe. It's when something happens in our lives or circumstances that we see with our eyes and it causes us to question what we believe in our hearts. Unbelief is having no belief whatsoever. Unbelief is willfully denying God and his promises. Unbelief is closer to disobedience than it is to doubt. It is a way of disobediently denying the existence of God and his power, denying his promises that Jesus Christ came He died and rose again so that all who believe would have life. Unbelief is putting up a wall between you and God and saying, I want none of that. Apostle Paul put it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. He said, even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. A veil is something that covers your eyes. He goes on and says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Unbelief is spiritual blindness. And what you need to know about unbelief this morning is that if you do not believe in Jesus, if that describes you this morning, That is not a conclusion that you have come to on your own. The Apostle Paul tells us that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And so there are many things that might blind our eyes to cause us not to believe. It could be sin or suffering or baggage and whatever experience you've had in the church growing up, whatever it is, The Apostle Paul says these things have one thing in common. They come from the God of this world. The God of this world, his name is Satan. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And what you need to know this morning, if you do not believe, is that Satan is actively working that unbelief into your soul. He is making it so that you can't see. And the problem with unbelief is not just that unbelievers can't see, it's that they cannot see the light of Jesus Christ. The greatest example I can think of this is Richard Dawkins. If you know who Richard Dawkins is, he's an atheist who has made a name for himself, not simply because he 
is an unbeliever, but he is an apologist for unbelief. In other words, it's not just that he doesn't believe, he doesn't want you to believe either. And I want you to listen to what Richard Dawkins says in an interview about Jesus. He said, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today. Now, with all due respect to Dr. Dawkins, he is much smarter than me. Not only is this statement brash, but it's blind. You see, fundamentally, the problem that Richard Dawkins has is not a philosophical or scientific argument in his mind. It's that he is blind to Jesus. Because Jesus was not just some great moral teacher. He is the son of God. And so he cannot be an atheist because he is God. Unbelief blinds us to the light of Jesus. Do you know anybody like that? Is there anyone in your life that though they know of Jesus, they cannot see him because they do not believe? Or maybe that describes you this morning. I want you to know that unbelief was not your idea, but the God of this world is blinding you and causing you not to see the light of Jesus. But you see, there's another kind of problem when it comes to seeing Jesus. The problem that the disciples had was not unbelief. It's not that they were blind. It's that their vision of Jesus was blurred. That's the second thing I want us to look at. I want us to see the danger of blurred vision. I want you to look with me at verse 23. We're told that this group of people took the blind man to Jesus. They begged that Jesus would heal him. And then verse 23, we're told that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus go out of his way to lead the blind man out of the village before he healed him? He did the same thing with the deaf man in Mark chapter 7. Led them out of the village in order to heal them. Why? Jesus often withdrew from the crowds when he wanted to show his disciples something about himself. When he wanted to train them and teach them. You see, I believe Jesus led this man out of the village because he wanted to show his disciples something. And he wanted to show us something as well. That he was going to heal this man, not just out of compassion, but in order to teach his disciples about himself. And so, I want you to look with me again, verse 23. We're told that when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him a question. Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? Not for his own benefit. It's not as if Jesus doesn't know what this man can see now and he's just trying to check his work, make sure that he's doing a good job. No, Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything for the benefit of his disciples? He wanted his disciples to hear the question. He wants you and I to hear the question as well. Do you see 
anything. This is how the man responds. Verse 24, we're told that the blind man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Here's a blind man and he can now see, but not really. He can see, but his vision is blurry. It's so blurry that he thinks he's looking at people, but they look more like trees than people, and they're just kind of walking around. And so we have to ask the question, why did Jesus do it this way? This is the only miracle in the New Testament where Jesus seems to do it in two parts, as if he couldn't get it right the first time around. I mean, did Jesus make a mistake? Was, was his blindness too powerful for Jesus that he had to heal him twice? What is going on here? You see, again, I think Jesus is performing this miracle not just out of compassion to restore sight to this man who's blind, but to show us something about himself. You see, this miracle happens just on the heels of an important conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. If you were with us last week, we saw how Jesus fed 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread. And even after all that the disciples saw Jesus do, they still did not understand him. And so Jesus has this conversation with them while they're arguing over where they're going to get bread. And this is what he asks them. He says, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you do not see? And having ears, do you do not hear? Did you hear those last two questions? Having ears, do you do not hear? And so Jesus healed a deaf man and opened his ears. Having eyes, do you do not see? And so Jesus comes to a blind man. He spits on his eyes and lays his hand on him. And now the blind man can only see partially. Why? Because so often, that is exactly how we see Jesus. Partially. That was the problem that the disciples had. Though they walked with Jesus, though they saw Jesus, though they followed Jesus, they didn't actually see him for who he really was. And so I think this partial healing, this man who now sees with blurred vision serves as a warning to us. Because it's possible to be around the things of Jesus, to hear the things of Jesus, to grow up with the things of Jesus, to question about the things of Jesus, to come to a church just like this and hear about Jesus and not really see him because our vision is blurred. See, there are so many things in this world that blur our vision and eclipse our ability to see Jesus for who he truly is. High school, I had a friend, a friend that wasn't blind, but she had such poor eyesight 
that she could not drive a car unless she was wearing glasses that were about that thick. You see, her problem, not that she was blind, it's that she could see just enough to be incredibly dangerous on the road. (laughs) That what she thought she would see without her glasses, she might mistake for something else and hurt herself or others. Friends, this is what a blurred vision of Jesus can do to us. It is dangerous. It's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for other people. Let me show you what I mean. It's possible for our vision of Jesus to be blurred by apathy. And to see Jesus as passive instead of sovereign. It's possible for our vision to be blurred by our own intellects. And to see Jesus as cold and aloof rather than our friend. It's possible to have our vision of Jesus blurred by our emotions and to see Jesus as weak and emotionally needy rather than the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's possible for our vision of Jesus to be blurred by idols, to see Jesus as just another thing for us to devote our lives to along many other things rather than the only one worthy of our worship. It's possible for our vision to be blurred by politics. To see Jesus through the lens of our own political agendas rather than his kingship and his kingdom. It's possible for our vision of Jesus to be blurred by fear. To see Jesus as a bully rather than a protector. It's possible to have our vision blurred by comfort and wealth, thinking that Jesus has come to make us comfortable rather than make us holy. It's possible for our vision to be blurred by suffering and sorrow and grief, seeing Jesus as someone who does not care about us when Jesus is the one who weeps with us. It's possible to have our vision of Jesus blurred by sin. To see Jesus as the one who has come to shame us. When Jesus is the one who came to save us from our sins. Jesus asked the blind man a question. A question that he wanted his disciples and all of us to hear. Do you see anything? What do you see in Jesus Christ? Has your vision been blurred? Or do you see him as the son of God and the savior of the world? The third and final thing I want us to see this morning. I want you to know that clear vision is possible only through faith. Why don't you look with me at verse 25. Here's this blind man. He can now see but not see. His vision is blurred. Verse 25, we're told that Jesus then laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Notice that Mark tells us that his sight was restored. 
Remember when this blind man could sort of partially see, he had categories and concepts for what he saw. In other words, he wasn't born blind. He had an idea of trees and people. And so Mark says that his sight was restored. In other words, Jesus healed him back to the way that he was originally intended to be. So often we think of the story and the good news of the gospel. And the story of the Bible, the story of redemption, we think it begins with the fall. That our origin as human beings is just sin and nothing else. But that's not how the story begins. The Bible begins with creation. And with God creating us in his image and the world around us and calling it good. What I want you to know this morning is that the gospel, the story of redemption, is a restoration project. It is Jesus restoring things back to the way they were. And you and I cannot see that unless he opens our eyes. Have you ever wondered, is there anything more to this? All that we experience every single day, all that we see with our physical eyes, have you ever wondered, is there anything more to life than this? And the answer that the Bible gives us is yes. There is so much more, more than you can imagine. There is eternity. And you cannot see it with your physical eyes. You can only see it through faith. Just as blindness is a powerful image for unbelief in the Bible, we also see this complicated relationship between seeing and faith. That the Bible tells us that seeing is essential, but you cannot see unless you first believe. The writer of Hebrews defines faith this way. Hebrews 11 verse 1, he tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is faith? Faith is the conviction in your heart, in your soul, the deep belief in something that you cannot see with your eyes. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I love this so much. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though we cannot see Jesus with our physical eyes, we see Jesus through faith and we rejoice obtaining the outcome of our souls, Peter says. Finally, Apostle Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We live in a world that says you cannot believe something is true unless you first see it. The gospel says you cannot really see all that God has for us in eternity unless you first believe. And so how do we get faith like that? How do we turn the hardness and disobedience of unbelief into faith? How do we move past a blurred vision of Jesus to see clearly? Our eyes have to be opened.
Notice what it says about Jesus healing the blind man the second time. Verse 25, it tells us that Jesus opened his eyes. What you need to know this morning is that you cannot see Jesus unless Jesus shows himself to you. No amount of your own thinking, your own doing, will ever see Jesus clearly without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus. And so you say, well, how can I see him? When is Jesus going to somehow show himself to me? I want you to know that he already has. Jesus has shown himself to us, even a bunch of doubting Thomases like you and me. See, in the Gospel of John, even as Thomas came and said, there's no way I'm going to believe unless Jesus shows me his hands and his side. That's exactly what Jesus did. By his grace and love for Thomas, Jesus appeared to Thomas. He showed himself to Thomas and he invited Thomas to touch his wounds, the nail marks in his hands, and the mark of the spear in his side, to see the risen Lord. I want you to know that Jesus has shown himself to us. He has shown us forgiveness in his wounds. And he has shown us victory over sin and death and his resurrection. And so here's the question for you and for me. Do you see anything? Do you see Jesus for who he truly is? Has he opened your eyes so that you might see him clearly? The risen Savior who laid his life down for you, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, to take on our sin, to die for us on the cross, and to rise again so that all who believe in his name would have everlasting life. We also thank you this morning for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes. Whether we have walked with you, Jesus, for years, or we've never known you and we're just curious, we pray, Holy Spirit, that today you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would give us the gift of faith, and that we would leave this place with a more clear vision of Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend and King. We pray by his powerful name that you would do this for our good and for your glory.